Welcome back, everyone, to the 49th episode of the Take the Points podcast, part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm your co-host, Tate Seth, joined as always by Arjun Menon. Coming off a very enjoyable conference championship Sunday. Arjun, how did you enjoy it? Yeah, it was, like you said, pretty enjoyable. Um, Obviously, the first game kind of, it kind of sucked just because Brock Purdy got hurt and it it was shaping up to be a fun, I guess, like defensive game uh, back and forth. But obviously, with Purdy hurt, the Niners didn't really have a chance. So um, I did really enjoy Bengals Chiefs. I thought that was a good, you know, game between uh, Mahomes and Lou Anarumo and how the, everything played out that way. And Mahomes gave one of the more Herculean performances I've seen in, in recent years. So I'm excited to kind of dive into it and, and just talk about what we saw in some of the games. We have the Herculean scale. So now there might have to be a Herculean scale to include Mahomes and some other players that that play really well through injury. But yeah, I agree with you. I think 49ers Eagles was was crazy, like especially in the first half, and then it kind of faded off. But Chiefs Bengals was was a lot of fun, and uh, we were really glad to be able to preview these games and a lot of the points that we touched on between you and me, but also everyone who joined our Twitter Spaces on Friday and kind of gave some insight into these games. Like people felt like it, they had a pretty good read on these games, like based on the results. So as as we jump into 49ers Eagles here, I think we both liked the Eagles to to do well in this game to at least cover. And that we did, you know, have the, the quarterback injury from Brock Purdy. But I thought that the Eagles defense was going to kind of dominate the 49ers offense, no matter which quarterback was going to play in this game. And you saw this on the first drive, the one that that Purdy played, like the Eagles defense was just getting pressure so often. Their defensive line is so stout. And I don't think the 49ers offensive line, which has been kind of masked because of a lot of the scheme stuff that they do when they had to go into pure drop back passing, like the play that Purdy got injured on, they were just getting pressured like crazy, crazy. Like Javon Hargrave had a 42% pressure rate on pass rush plays. Hassan Reddick had a 36% uh, pressure rate and Adamigan Sue had a 20% pressure rate. And those, those three guys from, from the different gaps that they were shooting were just dominating this 49ers offensive line the entire game. Yeah, it's a, it's a good point. Um, I definitely think the Eagles defense, like I, I was not like concerned about them. I was just curious to see how they held up against like an elite offense because they haven't really played a ton of elite offenses this year. And like when they played good offenses like the Lions or the Cowboys, like they've given up points like Lions put up 35 on them. Cowboys put up 40 on them. So, you know, there is so there was some precedent of the Eagles defense being kind of leaky. But I think even if Purdy stayed healthy, um, I still think the Eagles wouldn't have won won this game handedly. I still think they would have won this game by probably like seven or ten, just because, like, Hassan Reddick was was a monster, and like you brought up the pressure numbers. I also just think you know it would have been a closer, it obviously would have been a closer game if the 49ers had a quarterback. And I I did want to talk about kind of what D'Amico Ryan's was doing on defense. So you know, obviously, um, the the. Eagles just started running the ball down um, the 49ers' throats. They averaged a 0.15 EPA per, per rush on, on 42 rushes, 45% success rate. On early downs, a 0.07 EPA per rush and on 42% success rate on early downs. Like I, My hypothesis going into this game was wrong, that the Eagles were going to just try to win, to win this game through the air. But I also think D'Amico Ryan's kind of like scared Nick Sirianni and Shane Steichen a bit because early on in the game, Eagles had eight carries for eight yards and their production on offense through the air wasn't that good. Like Jalen Hurts skied a ball past AJ Brown and 
you know, that kind of, I felt changed the game of how Syrian and Syrian and Steichen wanted to handle this because I thought it was a more pass heavy attack early on, but they switched to more runs um, after the first quarter, like midway through the second quarter, because not that they didn't have faith in Hurts, but I think they just realized like the run game is going to be how we win this game. And one of the things that I was looking on, uh, looking at on Twitter, the Eagles just tried to run the ball straight at Javon Hargrave or not um, Javon Kinlaw. I don't know if you saw those clips. He was like a worse version of Jerry Tillery in this game. And, you know, we can like discuss like roster stuff in the offseason, but like he was, he's not been good as an interior defense lineman. And I'm curious if the Eagles, you know, uh, coaching staff or quality controller analytics team saw something where you run a Javon Kinlaw and it's going to open up more holes than not. And like you have a higher yards per carrier success rate when running at this specific player. Um, I thought it was a great game plan after the first quarter and they kind of just took the ball out of Jalen Hurts' hands and and let the offensive line win the game for them. That's exactly what it was, was you have this center in Jason Kelsey, which I don't know if you've heard, by the way, he's playing his brother in the Super Bowl. Uh, there'll be a couple articles <laughs> about it. But you have, you have this center in Jason Kelsey who is doing like a lot of things that most centers in the NFL aren't asked to do. And that's why, like, based on what the Eagles were able to do, uh, lining up, you know, going against Javon Kinlaw from where he kind of lines up usually as a three technique or somewhere between the center and the guard, when you have Kelsey being able to pull and get to the second level as well and as quickly as he does, that's why this run game can really kind of go to town. And yeah, that's, that's what I think like it, it comes back to is yeah, the, the, passing wasn't great and like I think a decent amount of that falls on Hertz but also kind of like the things that the Eagles are running because they were they were worried about the 49ers pass rush but it doesn't sometimes it doesn't matter and especially in a game like this because their running game was so efficient in this mm -hmm. game um either on Hertz's runs he had a 0.13 EPA per rush on 10 design runs and one scramble, but only a 0.09 EPA per pass. So he was a more efficient rusher than passer. But on top of that, Boston Scott, Kenneth Gainwell, and Miles Sanders all had positive EPA per rushes. And that's partly due to Hertz's gravity and partly due to yeah. Jason Kelsey and the rest of this uh, Eagles offensive line kind of dominating the 49ers front. And we saw kind of how they changed their game plan throughout the game when Nick Bosa blew up the first kind of read option that the Eagles were running they decided to start putting him in a complete bind where they were running plays where he had to decide between not only stopping the runner pass but also sending a tight end into his area to make him kind of think about whether he should be defending the tight end as well and that was just like a really good adjustment by the Eagles coaching staff yeah there, I think there was one zone read where um, it was in the red zone and they ran it. They ran the running back towards Bosa and he, I think went inside cause he thought Hertz was going to keep it. So he was playing the quarterback and he completely did, forgot to set the edge there. And I think it was Gainwell who took it for like 14 yards, um, and, and took it, I think either for a touchdown or in, like in the, inside the five yard line. So I think it was a great game plan by the Eagles. They really, again, one of the big things I've loved about Sirianni and Sykin is just their ability to adjust their game plans, not only week to week, um, but within a game. And this is something that um, I, I talked about, like the Eagles pass rate over expected in each week. And someone quote tweeted it with, quote tweeted it with like, 
the Eagles pass rate has like the largest standard deviation week over week, which again, that's just a testament to adjusting your game plans to fit the opponent's defense rather than just saying, we're going to do what we normally do and expect it to work. Like it's insane. They've had success, but like insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. Right. And I think the Eagles are such a smart organization that gets past that. The one negative I want to talk about that we did bring up in our previous show is the the 49ers did play uh covered three about 48.6% of the time against the Eagles. And as I kind of talked about on the previous show, that is Jalen Hurts' worst coverage to go up against. And I did think he did struggle a little bit. I don't have the exact numbers in front of me, but it did seem like he wasn't as successful against this 49ers defense. And I know you can't just like take away big plays, but we know that Devontae Smith the catch was an incomplete pass. That was a about a four epa play you take that away and hurts ends up with a negative epa per pass on the day so i do think he still there is some room to grow for jalen hurts like obviously the 49ers defense is one of the best and it will turn a lot of quarterbacks into pumpkins but i think the 49ers did give like some type of template to where you kind of sit in cover three you play single high against uh jalen hurts in this eagles offense you're able to get that extra guy in the box to support the run and force him to kind of beat you with the coverage that he struggles the most against. And I think that's something the 49ers kind of recognized and kind of leaned on throughout the game. I agree that it was not a great passing day from Jalen Hurts. And maybe he isn't an elite passer and, and probably will, you know, very small likelihood that he gets to that level where he can he can pass like at, at a high level. But the only like kind of reservation I think I would have about sitting in in cover three against the Eagles is yes, you do have that extra guy in the box and you play that zone covers that kind of muddies things for Hertz. But I still think AJ Brown and Devontae Smith are going to win mm-hmm. a majority of those outside reps, which would worry me about, about the defense and kind of take advantage of the post on the seam. And I think part of the why, like the, the passing wasn't great from Hertz is one, he was throwing a little bit injured with, with his hurt shoulder and he has two weeks here to get ready for that. But most importantly, like 16 mile per hour wins in, in Philly in the cold is going to be a lot different than uh kind of an indoor stadium in, in Glendale that they're about to play in with, with more regulated temperature. So I think the deep passing can get back there because he's been a tremendous deep ball thrower this year. I think that's mm-hmm. been one of the big uh, revelations of the season is how good and how accurate he has become on deep ball throwing. And that's because he trusts his guys like Devontae Smith and like AJ Brown to go up and make those plays. And Smith did almost make one, but it ended up, you know, getting called uh, forward and, and Brown like had his guys or had the defenders beat and and was just overthrown also. So I think those, those plays just have a, like a lot of variance to them and we could see them hitting on a couple of them, like in the future. Yeah. And also I think there was some wind involved um, in that Eagles games in Philadelphia. So, you know, obviously that affects deep ball passing um, quite a bit. So I'm not going to fault Hurts too much. Again, the 49ers defense will turn a ton of quarterbacks into pumpkins. And um, I, I think we can all agree Hurts isn't a tier one. He, maybe he's not tier two yet. But again, the gravity he adds in the run game and he has taken a lot of steps forward as a passer. And he's not going to get as tough of a defense in the Super Bowl with the Chiefs. Um so uh, yeah, it, it was a it was a great game plan overall by the Eagles. And again, I don't really know if we have much to talk about for the 49ers offense versus the Eagles defense because Brock Purdy and Josh Johnson got hurt. So uh do you, do you have anything you want us to add there in, in that game? Well, I was just a little bit surprised that the 49ers weren't able to get the run game going even uh without Josh Johnson. Like early on, like they did they did have some 
some nice rushes, but even when Josh Johnson came in, like Kyle Shanahan has had his fair share of bad quarterbacks before with CJ Beathard, and they've been able to have successful rushing attacks in those situations. And he tried a lot of Debo Samuel end arounds and basically all of them got blown up. Christian McCaffrey didn't have a great day rushing the ball other than the one big time run that he had where he bounced off a couple defenders. So it was just a little bit surprising to me from a Shanahan offense that they didn't lean into maybe like a lot of play action or things that you kind of do when you have a, a backup quarterback in there. And then obviously you had the the mistake of right before halftime in situations where we've usually seen Shanahan be more conservative and kind of just go into half. He was throwing with, with a, a fourth string quarterback and that led to the fumble that, that kind of opened up for the, the Eagles blowout. So, um, you know, still tremendous season from Shanahan as a play caller, getting three different quarterbacks an ensemble of, of different types of quarterbacks to the NFC championship game. But this was just a, a little bit of a rougher day for him. I feel like from a, from a play calling and game management standpoint. Yeah, he's he's still my coach of the year. So I, you know, I I think he he did masterfully getting this 49ers team as far as they did. Um we should move on Bengals Chiefs. Um what I don't even know where the best place to start is. So I'm going to let you kick it off so that I could kind of back up whatever uh you're saying about this game. So you have to start I feel like with the Chiefs defense in this game and I I do have to apologize. I wasn't familiar with your game Chiefs defense. You guys like did a tremendous job uh st- slowing down the Bengals offense in this game especially in that first half where the Chiefs corners were on everything and they have a decent amount of rookies in their secondary and they were covering uh T Higgins and Jamar Chase as well as I've seen anyone outside of the Baltimore Ravens cover these receivers the whole year and I started to think about where we kind of went wrong with the Chiefs defense. And this was more necessarily me thinking that they were uh, average to below average defense. And I think because they showed up 15th in EPA per play in the regular season, and we saw some games where they let up big points, it's because of they have to face passes so much more often than the regular defense. Uh, they, They face the third most pass attempts this year against them and a 1.6% pass rate over expected, which was the sixth highest in the league. And that's because like teams are passing more against the Chiefs defense, either because they're down because of what Patrick Mahomes has done already to them, or they just know they have to pass to keep up. And so that's why their stats end up looking inflated is be- or deflated is because they had to face so many more passes than a regular defense does. And they played the, the Bengals offense just very, very well in this game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a that's a great point. Um, they they started at, or at one point they had like four rookies on the field. It was it was like Jalen Watson, Justin Will, uh, J- Joshua Williams, uh, McDuffie, and then Brian Cook. Like it's that was a rookie heavy defense, and I mean Karloftis on the defensive line. Like the fact that they had that much success against the Bengals really speaks to I think how good Steve Spagnuolo was as a play caller. Um, and also just, you know, kind of the progression of those rookie cornerbacks where, you know, like you expect rookie cornerbacks to struggle out the gate. Like that's not that's not um, something that I think we can disagree on. But as the season went on, they got better. And I think um, Spagnuolo really had a good game plan. So to re- to reference what he did, the Chiefs really just sat in too high. And this is something I kind of preached about 
Um, you want to invite variance. You want to press these receivers because you don't want to let them have these three or four yard hitch routes that turn into six, seven, eight yards, right? Because of yak. So what we saw was the only way the Bengals were able to get quick game going was screens to chase. And McDuffie had one of the best tackling days against this Bengals receiving room. I think I've seen, I think there were like two or three times where he was the first guy to make contact with chase and he brought him down. So, you know, a large part of their success was they were able to tackle, but part of that was because they, they were in the right place at the right time by pressing up on these corners. So the chiefs defense played 18 snaps to cover two, nine snaps of cover two man and five snaps where they bracketed either Chase or Higgins. So over, you know, over 60% of the time, they were playing either cover two, two man or bracket, which means you're taking away, you know, kind of the middle of the field and forcing Burr to hit some of the sideline shots, which he did, you know, he hit the Higgins back shoulder one, which I thought was a, a good throw. And then he also had T Higgins on the jump ball, which I think was more Higgins than Burrow. It's a good placement, but T Higgins still mossed the guy. And I think overall it was it was a great game plan from that front. And again, I tweeted it earlier on that Sunday morning. But if you're the Chiefs, like you you should be expecting your defensive line to win your matchups. And in the first in the in the matchup last year in the conference championship game, they had 17 pressures. So it's not like they weren't getting home. They just failed to convert because 17 pressures turned into one sack. In this game, 21 pressures turned into five sacks. And I think that was again the big difference um, in this game for the Chiefs defense. Love how you laid that out. And I think like kind of the next step of that is they basically turned them into the Bengals of last year where mm-hmm. they couldn't, the Bengals couldn't run the ball because the Chiefs were tackling really well, like you mentioned. But just on top of that, the Bengals became over-reliant on big plays and that opened up the door to all the sacks that Burrow ended up taking. And that's why I think Burrow didn't particularly play well in this game as much as people wanted to anoint him as QB two possibly, or even QB one, um, which, which I don't think was really a real debate, but was brought up or wanted to say that he had the it factor or that he owned the chiefs in particular, like at the end of the day, football is a very high variant sport. So sometimes when you flip a coin heads pops up three times in a row, but it doesn't mean that heads owns tails or, or heads always going to beat tails. Like I think like once this variance kind of swung the other way for the Bengals, they weren't able to do particularly well in this game because they only hit on those, those two like really deep shots, the, the one to Higgins down the sideline, then the, the fourth down to chase that they converted. But other than that, like it was Burrow threw into double coverage a decent amount. Uh, he took a lot of sacks and his interceptions and sacks were negative 10 EPA and he finished with zero EPA. So what he did on the deep balls and, and those were good throws, he canceled out on the interceptions and sacks. And like, that's what it kind of came down to at the end of the day. And then you had this chief's defensive line that was able to get pressure. Chris Jones, 25% pressure rate, Carlos Dunlap stepped up. We were we expected Chris Jones, but we didn't expect these other guys on the Chiefs mm-hmm. defensive line to step up. Carlos Dunlap, 22% pressure rate. Frank Clark and Michael Dana got five and four pressures respectively as well. I, I need you to respect Michigan alumni Frank Clark. It's playoff Frank Clark that we're talking about, <laughs> which he might be one of the best defensive ends in the NFL once he hits the playoffs. Um, I also I think an underrated factor that not a lot I haven't really seen a lot of people talk about was Tyler Boyd getting injured I think that also played a huge impact because as I talked about Chiefs sat in cover two and two man and bracket and so on late downs you're expecting you know you're in a bracket chase in, in Higgins and so you need a reliable guy over the middle 
And I believe in their first matchup, Tyler Boyd had like four catches for 60 yards. He is their guy to kind of win these one-on-one matchups in the slot. And so when he gets hurt, you're bringing in Trenton Irwin, who, you know, he's got, he's an okay guy as a fifth guy or the fourth receiver on the field. But if you're relying on him to win one-on-one matchups with Trent McDuffie, you're probably going to be disappointed more often than not. And I think the Bengals kind of like really felt the impact of not having Tyler Boyd because once the Chiefs kind of took away Higgins and Chase on some of those late drives, you know, Burrow was throwing incompletions to Trenton Irwin and Hayden Hurst. So I think that was kind of an underrated factor of why the Bengals maybe didn't have as much success and might have limited some of the stuff they wanted to do with their playbook because Irwin is significantly worse than Boyd. But um, that that was just something I, I picked up on kind of like after the fact that when the game was over. That's a really good point because it that's kind of what the Bengals offense and what made them so successful this year was you couldn't cover all four or even five, I guess, if you throw in the, the check down uh, between Mixon and Preen, like you couldn't cover all five of those receiving options. And all of them had positive EPA attached to them between Chase, Higgins, Boyd, and then Hurst as the tight end. And then the check down because of like what, de- what the buying defenses were be- being put in this year. I think that the Bengals were able to take advantage of it. But, you know, from a play calling perspective, I thought that actually Zach Taylor had a pretty good game. It was Andy Reid who didn't have as good of a game and put a lot on Mahomes's plate with his torn ink or with his hurt ankle. And like what was crazy to me was the difference between and, and Timo Riske uh, from from PFF pointed this out was the difference between watching like Burrow kind of throw to Chase and Higgins and, and make some pretty good throws, but then watching Patrick Mahomes and like who he had to throw to and still put up plus 10 total EPA, 0.2 EPA per play while Burrow had a zero EPA per play is like, that's why there's a separation between Mahomes and, and everyone in the league, which has been said like a million times, but it, it I feel like it still needs to be brought up. Yeah, that's a that's a good point. I and this was like one of Mahomes' like best games. I think just watching him. Obviously, the stats aren't as high from an efficiency standpoint, but um, I think the fumble caused him to go down from like a point three two EP per play to like a point two. So I think he had a tremendous game. Just looking at who he was throwing to, when you lose your top three receivers, Juju, Kadarius, Tony, and Hardman, and still are able to have success. In that game, I think that just speaks to how good of a quarterback you are. Both of his touchdown passes were manufactured throws. Him stepping up in the pocket with, you know, a collapsing interior left guard on the MVS throw and rolling right, stopping, throwing back left to Travis Kelsey on the on the first touchdown. I mean, there's just things that he does that, you know, very few quarterbacks can do. And I think this was, again, just a Herculean performance from him. And, um you know, I do kind of worry about the Chiefs offense. Like I, it was a lot of Mahomes kind of manufacturing stuff outside the pocket, making throws on the run that, you know, we've seen him do. But with the supporting cast, you don't really know how well it's going to be, you know, how, how well it's going to end for them. And I think now that they're going up against, you know, I think a more talented defense in the Eagles. I don't I don't really know how much more Mahomes magic is going to be able to propel the Chiefs uh, to a victory in the Super Bowl. That's yeah, that's what the, the crazy thing is to me is like when you kind of go down the list of like who got receptions for the Chiefs on Sunday, like Mark Marquez Valles Antley, MVS, seven receptions, great game from him. Happy for our our uh, friend Eric Eager who who kind of called this, but he was someone that the Packers, like even with their thin receiving room, didn't even try to keep and kind of let him go to Kansas City. Travis Kelsey, six receptions, obviously he's amazing, best tight end in the league, but Isaiah Pacheco, five receptions. He was the backup running back at Rutgers last year. Uh, Jarek McKinnon, 
two receptions. He was a third string running back. And then Marcus Kemp getting a reception in the fourth quarter on a curl route to move the chains in one of the most crucial uh, areas of the game. He's a special team there. And he's had a combined three receptions the past two seasons coming into this game. And he had to make a catch in the AFC championship game. And that's how good Mahomes was playing was he was throwing to all these kind of wide receiver threes or, or even worse other than Kelsey and he was still able to make stuff happen like on a, on a hurt ankle and, and kind of move the the chiefs forward, even without a run game or, or anything else. Yeah. The, the chiefs running backs averaged 1.8 yards per carry. So again, there was no help for Mahomes, and he still put up a tremendous performance. So props to him, props to the chiefs for, for getting through to the super bowl. I thought that was a, a very fun game. And um, we did see a little bit of big Lou Anarumo in the second half adjustments. I think, I think the Chiefs probably scored on that drive if Mahomes doesn't fumble, right? Mm-hmm. Or yeah, I think so. But, but even then, I mean, Anarumo only allowed ten points in that in that second half, and he he gave the Bengals multiple chances in the fourth quarter to win, and and Burrow just you know couldn't get it done with two drives in a row. So props to the Chiefs. I'm really excited for the Chiefs Eagles Super Bowl. In my opinion, just the two best teams in the league. As uh, someone who who has thought the Bills are a little bit overrated since midseason, so happy to see that we get you know the two best teams facing off in the Super Bowl. I know you have another thing you wanted to talk about before you know we end this kind of episode today. So I'm gonna I'm gonna let you uh, get started on this. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean first before I get into it, yeah, I agree. It feels right that the Chiefs and and Eagles are playing each other in the Super Bowl. The the best teams don't always make the Super Bowl, but this year I think they did, which is pretty cool. Um, but I do want to talk about all the things that are coming out about this game from. Uh, a, a perspective from from Bengals fans, which I understand because like I think everyone who's rooted for a team has had their team go through their share of bad calls and it leads you to think that like the cards were kind of stacked against you. But how like referee officiating errors were explained to me one time by Lee Sharp uh, uh, on Twitter was if you treat them like the variance that comes with fumble luck or bounced uh, interception luck where, where a ball bounces in the air and it could, it's a 50-50 chance it could be uh, picked off by either team, then it kind of really opens the door on like what it provides because there's so much variance that happens in a football game as we've touched on. And uh, referee calls could go one way or another, but at the end of the day, it, like if the Chiefs pick up the fumble that Mahomes had – then this game like probably doesn't come down to the officials anyways, but that bounced the Bengals way. And that was a super impactful play. And then the referee calls were mostly going to the Chiefs side, but they were just part of kind of like the variance and, the, and kind of like the luck that happens in football games. And I think over time, over a very large sample size, officiating errors should even out. And I looked at since 2018, since when Mahomes took over as a full-time starter, the Chiefs have had the most offensive penalties called on them in the league. Mm-hmm. So it's not like all the refs like are deciding like they want to make calls for or against the Chiefs. It's just like pretty random in general. And that leads even to, to you know, the, the more conspiracy theorist thing is like the NFL being rigged. And I, I know you had a really good point on, on Calvin Ridley that I, I want you to bring up here with, with regards to that. Yeah, so the NFL found that Calvin Ridley gambled on games like within a month of him doing it. You really think that like them or like even just the federal government are not going to be able to find out uh, of these like uh, of the NFL rigging games or the refs getting paid off, right? Like 
it just doesn't make sense. Like, I don't, I, I haven't seen any evidence of it. I don't like players can come out and say, oh yeah, the NFL wanted this team to win. They can want a team to win. Like they, they, they are a business. They need to make money and they know that a certain matchup will get more money for them or viewers than another matchup. It's not, it's not wrong for them to want a certain matchup internally. Do they act on it? No, because they can't like, why? Like, I don't understand how they could, people would assume that like the NFL is paying the refs or like they're forcing these matchups to occur. Like you're telling me that the, the NFL wanted the chiefs in over the Bengals over Joe Burr over Joe Shiesty, right? Like this is the, this is like the, the crown of NFL media. Like what, like, I don't understand why people would say like, Oh, they wanted Mahomes in over Joey, you know, Joe Burrow, the NFL popularity, or even just the takes put out if Burrow won the Super Bowl would be much higher than if Mahomes won the Super Bowl, right? Like there'd be QB one debates, which obviously would have held no merit in my opinion, but it just doesn't make sense from that perspective. We've seen the NFL be able to find people that violate the rules in ver- in a very quick, timely manner. So I don't think there's any validity to that. Again, it would be with gambling legalized, like in a bunch of states now, it'd be much easier to find than if, you know, if, if it was just offshore stuff, because it's tougher to like, you know, work with offshore companies. But now that you have FanDuel, DraftKings, BetMGM, like things like that, it's just like, it's, it's so easy to find. It would be much easier to find out if games are rigged or fixed or whatever. And I just don't think uh, it's happened. Mm-hmm. Yes, no, I agree. And the NFL does everything they can to ensure parity between how they set the draft order, how they give uh, teams that finish first place, first place schedules where you have to play all the other first place teams in your conference. The salary cap is is to help teams that don't have as many good players. So I can promise you that they're, they don't want to keep sending the Chiefs to the Super Bowl three of the last four years. And they didn't want to keep having the Patriots go to the Super Bowl as many times as, as they did during their dynasty. Like they want new teams there. You know how big it is for an NFL team in a city where they're not super into Football, like we saw Los Angeles last year, get really into the Rams as they made their Super Bowl run when the interest usually isn't there for a middling team like them. So they want new teams to keep doing this. So we can assure most people that uh, that, that they're not rigging these games and, and that officiating errors are just part of randomness. And um, before we move on to, to one last topic, I just want some, some crazy Patrick Mahomes stats now that the dust has settled. So since 2015... Patrick Mahomes has had the most total EPA in the entire NFL. He became a full-time starter in 2018. (laughs) Um, Since 2016, Patrick Mahomes has had the most total EPA in the playoffs out of anyone in the league, Um, basically double uh, or even triple what Tom Brady has had in that time. And he became a full-time starter in 2018. So it's, it's pretty crazy to see like how efficient Mahomes has been in the regular season and in the postseason. But that's, that's what we'll have for our game recaps uh, but before we we end off here, I want to hear some of your thoughts on your Chargers hiring Kellen Moore from the Cowboys to be their offensive coordinator. Yeah, so first, um, I gave like a more in-depth breakdown um, on my uh, Chargers analytics podcast channel. So if you look up Guiltiest Charge on YouTube, I did like a whole 18-minute breakdown of Kellen Moore um, and with a lot of stats and, and just graphs that you can look at. But I'm, I'm pretty excited. I think, you know, he is a pretty sharp guy. Um, I remember reading at some point Matthew Stafford even wanted him as his offensive coordinator after Moore was let go and he went into coaching. I think, you know, he led three top 10 offenses by EPA, by success rate uh, in in the years that Dak was healthy. Uh, I do think part of his 
game planning and his playbook was kind of hampered by McCarthy, Garrett, Jerry Jones, a mixture of all three or, or whatnot. And this is the first time he's probably going to have full autonomy of his own offense that he wants to build it the way he wants to. And he's, he's a young coach. So I'm assuming he's probably pretty creative, but he has a lot of, he's had four years of coordinating experience, right? And this is a guy that's been asked for head coaching interviews for two years in a row now. And the fact that the Chargers are able to get him as an offensive coordinator kind of that quickly speaks to how they see him like they think he's a pretty sharp guy and I think he does a very good job of kind of adjusting a scheme to fit um, opponent defenses I and while I do think he didn't call a great game against the 49ers again the 49ers defense has been turning teams into pumpkins for a majority of the season so um, if you want to kind of like hear more of my thoughts you can go check out that podcast channel at guilty as charged on YouTube but I'm pretty excited for it curious to hear what your thoughts are um, going from Joe Lombardi to Con Moore. Yeah, I know. First of all, everyone should go check out the breakdown on on Guilty as Charge. I think it, it's really good, and it, it kind of highlights a lot of the things you want to see uh, from from like uh, when you're hearing about an offensive play caller. But I think Kellen Moore is a good offensive uh, play caller and an offensive coordinator in general that was hampered by some of the things that uh, Jerry Jones and the rest of the Cowboys organization has set in place for their offensive coordinators, I think it was brought up by David uh, Howman the other day that they have a rush mandate that they, first of all, want a certain amount of rushes in each game, but they also want Ezekiel Elliott to get a certain amount of rushes in each game. So I think that was part of kind of like how he maybe wasn't super pass heavy in Dallas um, because because of that. And then on top of that, like the Cowboys offense has been really successful from a scoring perspective the past two seasons uh you know with this mike mccarthy kellen moore combination they ranked seventh in offensive epa per play over that time uh cowboy stats and graphics had a really cool graph on twitter showing um average throw selection value where you kind of take like what spot of the field the throw is to evaluate the quarterback and dak prescott had the third best average throw selection value in 2022 so i think that can partly be contributed to kellen moore as well and going from dak to herbert you're kind of taking a a a step up in the tier that you're going from from like quarterbacks wise but they are very similar styles of quarterbacks they're very good on the run they're they're taller quarterbacks and then you're getting an upgrade from an arm perspective so i think you know give having dallas at seventh in epa per play these past couple years would have been fifth if you include just dak prescott's games Mm. is like really exciting for chargers fans yeah Uh, don't don't drink the kool-aid completely completely (laughs) yet we still have a big off season to go but uh, I'm I'm just excited for the offense. I hope he is able to kind of maximize um, Justin Herbert. So, um, yeah, I think that kind of wraps it up for our episode today. Uh, thank you, everyone, for tuning in. I know it was a little bit of a shorter episode. Um, we will not be doing our game preview this Friday. We will save that for next Friday. Maybe do a t- another Twitter Spaces because I, I think a lot of people like the the one we did last week. We had like our highest amount of listeners at one point. Um, so stay on the lookout for that but again thanks for everyone thanks to everyone for listening throughout this episode and also just the entire season this is like our final game our weekly recap um that we'll do i mean we'll probably do one after the super bowl but again want to thank everyone for being a part of this podcast and um, we'll talk to you next friday so until next time i'll take the points